0: All this week, we are in Samaria, next to a well in the middle of the day. Join us for Truth For Today as Pastor Phil Howard finds us in John chapter 4. The passage is usually called, The Woman at the Well. It's John chapter 4, and today we're looking at verses 1 through 26, witnessing in order to produce worshipers. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture and some real insight into evangelism, what it is, what it isn't, and how we go about doing it. The illustration is clear. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's edition of Truth For Today and The Woman at the Well
1: comes to us where we are he meets us at our well and we've been running to a lot of wells pleasure possessions power oh personal relationships uh, pursuits oh we got all of these wells we drank from but you keep staying thirsty you keep trying one more thing one more relationship one more hobby one more trip One more this, something to fill up the void of your heart. And men die without Christ and they remain thirsty for all eternity, never finding anything in the deepest recesses of hell that can fill an empty heart. And the one that could do it, they reject it. Only Jesus can satisfy the longing of your heart. He's the missing, missing person in your life. Don't don't worry about another boyfriend and another girlfriend until you meet Jesus. Don't even worry about that, for he's the only one that can quench the thirst. Now they get in this debate over worship, and uh, this runs the gamut. He he goes through Samaria to meet a sinner. They discuss water. Now it gets to worship. And let's just look at it. Jesus said to her, because she's arguing over the right place to worship, Woman, believe me, the hours come in when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now, two things about this woman. She's hooked up on location for worship. You gotta be at a certain place, Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem. Christ says, first of all, I want to tell you something's totally changed. With my coming, Jerusalem is no longer going to be the center of worship, neither is Mount Gerizim. For what did he say in John 2? You will destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. This spake he of his body. Our new temple for the believer is Christ. Wherever Christ is, is where you can worship. You know, I think of us naming our buildings. Family Life Center, Worship Center. I guess that was the best we could do. It's it's really ridiculous. This is not a worship center. As soon as all you folks leave, there will be no worship in this place. Empty buildings don't worship. This is not a... The worship center is Christ. And my heart. And because some of you are here today and you've never worshipped. But you're in the place we call worship center. Because location doesn't make you worship. Just because you're in the pew. And I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just talking to what church folks are. That's why I told Ezekiel, when you prophesy, don't look at their faces. Most pastors have to learn to find a target out there that doesn't depress. So they keep looking at the exit what everybody wants to do, run out. (laughs) No, no, no. I don't know how many worship today, but I don't know how you sing just as I am and get into one stanza of it and your eyes not stand in water. It's moving. And he says to this woman, forget location. And two, you guys are all wet, you Samaritans. Worship, you, you've been making your own religion. He could have been very ecumenical and said, Well, we're all worshiping the same God Allah, uh, crystals, hug a redwood tree. Uh, you know, we're all God's little children and we're all God. No, 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 no. Uh, baloney. Bunch of religious garbage. Just because you guys have been meeting up Mount Gerizim and sacrificing animals and going through your religious routine, it doesn't lead to God. The only way to God has come through the Jew, and you don't know it, but the Jewish Messiah is standing in front of you. You'll never know God except through him. We've got the monopoly on it. You don't have to be a Jew by racial birth, but you must come to a Jewish Messiah. He's not white or black or brown. Who cares what color Messiah is? He came through the seed of Abraham. You've got to put your faith in him. I am he standing before you. Then he goes on to say, you worship, but you don't know. Isn't that most false worship? Worship a lot of going on, but you don't even know. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I'll, I'm going to pick up worship next week. I can't say everything that needs to be said. But Philippians 3.3 says three things mark a Christian. They worship in the Spirit, it says, they glory in Christ, and they put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the three marks right there. They worship in the Spirit, they glory in Christ, and they put no confidence in the flesh. That's the true circumcision of God, Philippians 3.3. Now, let's talk a little bit about it here. Worship. What is Worship. Worship used to, in the Old Testament, included so many externals, a priesthood, a tabernacle, a temple, uh, animal sacrifice, all of this. And they used the word proskuneo, to bow down to. That word just evaporates when you get to the epistles because it doesn't talk about forms for the church. That you have to have this man. You have to have candles. You have to genuflect. Uh, You have to have stained glass windows. Nothing about ambiance in all the New Testament. Nothing about the kind of building. Nothing. None of that is said. You got to have a steeple. You got to have a cross on your building. None of that happens because the New Testament church started in homes. They just, wherever they met. But the Old Testament required a priesthood, a temple. He says, no, 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 this coming today, boy, you won't do that. The worship will take place in two realms. Spirit, not Holy Spirit, small s, and truth. What he's saying, the spirit is in the inner man, the realm of my heart, the internal life, not external And in the realm of truth, and it's basically truths about God's greatness, God's goodness. And um, you say, that's where worship will take place. Let's ask ourselves today, did you worship? And what is scary is you can do all the externals and not worship. You can preach and not worship. You can pray and not worship. You teach a Sunday school class and not worship. You can sing and not worship. You can be in the choir and not worship. You can be all over this church doing different things. And at the end of the day, if someone asks you, did you worship? The only way you can answer that was your inner man connected with God in adoration Adoring Him for some truth, some aspect of His character, of His activity towards you, redemption, salvation. He's great. He's majestic. Uh, Worship is the honor, acknowledging of God that we want to honor Him and adore Him. And the closest thing to worship, and please excuse me, we need lovers to write worship songs. Because worship winds up being loving God. And it gets mushy. And it gets intimate. And it gets gooey for you cerebral types. Who think all God is is knowledge. Knowledge. This is what happened in the Great Awakening. When Jonathan Edwards wrote Religious Affections, the East Coast was full of brilliant men, many of them Reformed churches, many of them Calvinists from Europe that were a starchy, correct, right, and all that mattered was doctrine and right, right, right. Well, what happened in the awakening on the East Coast with the preaching of George Whitfield and the preaching of the likes of Edwards and the sinners in the hands of an angry God, people would swoon in meetings. People would begin to scream in meetings. They thought hell was opening up. Edwards described it so graphically. And and there was, uh, men would bust out weeping. And so they had such men as Chauncey, who wrote a rebuttal that the great awakening was nothing but so much emotional rubbish. Jonathan Edwards picked up the pen for his own church church, was caught up in the revival. He was caught up with George Whitefield. And he said, no, 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 no. What God is doing on the East Coast, we've had excesses. We have swooning. We've got different emotional extremes. But what we've discovered is a God that is adored and loved is not just a correct answer. He moves the affections. Such that you love him. So you feel joy. You've got peace. You feel exhilaration toward him. You feel like you're going to burst. You feel like you're in his presence. It's better than booze. It's better than sex. It's better than anything this world can offer. He is the highest high. He is the greatest drink. And your body feels like it's going to burst. And so we start seeing even in Christianity... Here I grew up in Pentecost where I craved a lot of truth that I never heard. But believe me, we were free emotionally. Then I go over here to all these Baptist schools who had a lot more truth than the people I was running with. They touched on a lot of other things. And so I went over here for truth. And then I come out and I don't run with either group. And all of a sudden, guys in seminary say, You were the only guy that wept during the lecture. Rich Rollins always said that. He said, we all thought you were weird at seminary. (laughs) He did. He said, you were the weirdest student we had. And I said, why? He said, because when Dr. Schaefer would start describing the attributes, and start describing he elected me from the foundation of the world, I'd weep. I couldn't believe he would choose me. I came home to my daddy. I said, Dad, you've got to hear something that we never heard. I've never heard it, and I hope it doesn't offend you. And he said, What is it, son? i never forget. He sat there. My old mama sat there. My sister Hazel sat there. And the other three had married off. So it was just the four of us. I said, I heard today, Dad, the teacher say that before... God made the Milky Way before the foundation of the world. He decided he was going to save a bunch of Howards. And he did it before the foundation of the world. I said, Dad, what do you think about that? Because I thought he's going to be offended. We don't buy that election stuff. i never forget him right here. He bowed his head. And uh, my daddy would get happy. He'd do something like this. Trying to shake it off, kind of. He's just trying. And I said, what is it? He he, he just threw his hand. I can't talk. I thought, what's he shaking off? And then then he finally said, it's too wonderful for me to take in, son. I can't describe it. I'm waiting for an argument. He said... Could we just bask in it a little bit? And my little mother over here, just a farm girl, knows nothing about theology. She can't even spell theology. She's her tears are running down her. My sister's over here weeping. There's no theologians at the table, just a bunch of worshipers. You chose us. You wanted us before time? You mean you said. You were going to go by South 15th and cutting in 1958 and save a punk kid. Yeah, I put you in my agenda. That was no accident that Tuesday night on South 15th when I saved you. I planned that from before the foundation of the world. Do you think you could worship a God like that? Do you think you could get emotional about it? And I begin to find out truth doesn't dry you up. Truth makes you have some reason to be emotional about. So one crowd, they're whipping up emotions sometimes. We got to get you to jump. Don't jump for me. Don't do anything for me. I'll tell you what I learned in preaching. I don't care what you do. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to adore him. If you want to join, you got every right to. You see, I used to always try to have to get the people and everything, and I finally asked my dad, I said, how can I get them? They're not doing much. He said, you're not doing much. I said, what? He said, wait, you pray for it to happen to you, and we'll join you. And so I quit working on the congregation. I said, God set me on fire. Does truth burn in me? You know, I see a lot of people, a lot of you, the only reason you serve God is it's a duty. You showed up today because it's a duty. We've ruined Christianity by making it a a duty. It's like I have to kiss my wife twice a day because it's a law in California. You got to do it. You just hope she's brushed her teeth just before the kiss. No, 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 no. Kissing my wife is not a duty, it's a privilege. It's a delight. We nearly forgot how, but we still do it once in a while. (laughs) You see, and we've turned God into duty. And we don't think that you can have truth with burning emotions. Emotions where you're wiping your eyes and you want to raise your hands. That's why I can't understand you folks that have always been frozen. I don't know what's going on in your spirit. I can't judge that. You don't have to do this as loud as me or clap as loud as me. What's going on in your heart, in your spirit? What's going on? And that's why people get nervous here because, oh, we're too emotive. We're not emotive enough. As long as you've got truth for the basis of your emotion, your Bible, your worshiping. Truth. We don't have emotion without truth. That's just emotionalism and whipped up, right? And we don't have truth that is just dead right. I win all arguments, and I'm as dry as a bird nest. says, so "What does truth burn in you? Where did you lose the romance in knowing Jesus? I thought he was a redeemer and a lover. You've turned him into a theological equation. I knew him just as good when I knew a lot less. My problem is I know far more than I'm experiencing. I want to worship. Some Sundays I come here, I have to preach whether I worship or not. And I get to the sermon and I still keep you late and you go home and say, well, he really wasn't on it today, was he? And the next week you might say, man, he was a little carried away about something. I wonder what it was. <laughs> just, just let him have a conniption over him. When he gets over here, we'll just lead him out the side. He's beside himself. They said Paul was beside himself. They said Jesus was beside himself. I want to be beside myself. I want to be caught up with the wonder of our God. You shall worship. So let me tell you this. We used to sing a little song. Two songs about the water. The waters that Jesus gave me are sweeter than I can tell. They flow from the rock of ages and they were not in the well. Paul and I used to hear old brother Boatler sing that. And then we used to sing a little song. It goes this way. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, can you imagine where all the churches meeting today in the world? In China, underground. Our Sudanese Christians are being killed by Muslims, and they're in hiding. The church in uh, uh, Iraq is in hiding. We used to have an Iraqi brother move to Marin, Michael, and all of his family's hiding over there for their life because they're killing them left and right. Met some Assembly of God pastors. The the pastors are being killed, being killed. So the people are hiding. They're trembling. But you know what? On Sunday, they meet to worship. They're in basements. They can't sing. You see, when it's Jesus, your spirit and truth, you don't need a choir. You don't need a band. I have to say, sometimes the greatest worship I have all week is in my basement during the week. I pray as loud as I want, as long as I want. I want to tell you, sometimes I think heaven comes down in that place. I've prayed through more storms down in that basement. I've had more worship experiences, as many as I've ever had in a gathered meeting. Because when a heart is hungry and thirsting for God, and your spirit's engaged and Jesus is your new temple, which means he's the new meeting place between heaven and earth. And the spirit says, he's crying, Abba, Abba. And I nothing satisfies your heart but Jesus once you meet him. You know why so many go back? They've never, never got a drink from the right well. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. I close. Sometimes worship comes in three stages. The ultimate is you're basking, you just, you feel like you're scanning heaven and you're hilarious. It's up there, great crescendo type meetings. That's wonderful. Other times, a second kind of stage, a little bit lower. There's times uh, you're haunted by the memory of his presence. And all you've got is a taste but taste. That says, "I hunger to experience more of what I've experienced for I feel dry and lean. I feel like that deer trying to find the water brook and I have to say I'm in a dry spell. Sometimes at the lowest rung, you feel barren. You might even be bitter at God and you feel you're a thousand miles away but that hunger bud taste just keeps welling up. Oh, I've tasted, I've seen, and it's the thing that keeps you from backsliding. So far, is you, you say I, I want Him, I'm dry, I'm I'm not clicking like I want. I got I've missed prayer, I've missed the Word, whatever. But when you met Him, you know what the water tastes like. He said, "I'm thirsting in my soul to get in His presence." And what Jesus says, I'll go by Samaria. I'll look up a fallen woman. I'll offer her the water of eternal life. And I'll tell her, I want to turn you into a worshiper. And I'm not trying to get her to Jerusalem. I'm trying to get the inner man with truth, with truth, to go heavenward. We, we have stuff going around today. At close. We call it worship battles. It's really the music battles. Did you know any music we sang today didn't make you worship? You sang words, but it didn't mean you worship. That's inner man. Just as I am, I can't get through it without being broken. But it did not mean you did. Right? Well, we need more rhythm. We need, the, you, we need this kind of music. That it doesn't matter what kind of music it is. This is the music God wants. Is is your inner man connected? Is your heart connected?
0: And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. Or, again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support,